The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Tēnā koutou, Duncan Grieve here. Thank you so much for listening to The Fold in 2023. Taking a little break over summer and would like to sort of bring you some of the, my favourite conversations from throughout the year. So uh, please enjoy this while I take a short break and we'll be back mid-late January. Uh, here's one of my favourites, Matewa. My guest today is Kate Lindsay, live from New York, so you might hear uh, the odd siren in the background. This this is a, a, a fold I've wanted to do for a long time, um, certainly as long as I've been reading Embedded, which is the substack that, that Kate runs, which is about internet culture and, and kind of particularly the kind of just the changing way that people use and relate to social media and, and, and everything that, that happens there. And she's just, to, to me, she's the best person on earth at chronicling that world and in a way that feels very much in it rather than looking at it, um, if you'll allow for the distinction. Uh, Embedded comes out a couple of times a week. Like If you're listening to this, run, don't walk to subscribe to it. It's just a... A very smart, nuanced, uh, very funny uh, perspective on on uh, on that whole world, and so we basically go through, uh, you know, the the sort of thesis that is at the heart of embedded. Uh, we do a bit of a stock take of the various platforms and how people are using them and the way that TikTok has got this kind of just ferocious gravity that is sort of impacting that that whole world uh and then we talk about the millennial pause which is sort of you know kate's almost like a live experiment uh, unwittingly where she kind of became the internet's main character for a minute there uh documenting this phenomenon that she'd sort of heard someone talking about and then really became the sort of face of it kind of against her will. and she's got really interesting things to to say on that but um but yeah, Kate Lindsay is, uh, you know, I, I genuinely think the most interesting and fun writer on internet culture going, and it's just a total thrill to me to have her on this podcast. So yeah, please enjoy Embedded's Kate Lindsay on The Fold. Kia ora, Kate. Welcome to The Fold. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, so before we were coming on, I've been just sort of walking around the office, just telling people about the, that this is going to happen and how excited I am. And uh, Samuel, my our producer, had done some research, like a pretty 
cursory level and he said she's like a business influencer right which really cracked me up (laughs) (laughs) that would be oh my gosh (laughs) if that's how i'm perceived i need to change some things about how i'm showing up online (laughs) i think so um that's just just quite a revelation for you but absent that uh let's assume that's incorrect how how would you describe your kind of peripatetic career you built for yourself i guess um just internet culture writer, but I honestly have been like dropping the internet a bit more recently, not because it's not true, but because I think increasingly there's like less of a reason to distinguish the internet. Everything in culture is kind of happening on the internet. And I think, um, I think there's maybe, I found that can be like a misconception when you say you write about internet culture, just about the internet that you're writing about, like I don't know, like memes or like some TikToker that no one's heard of. And that's true in some cases. But um, I think I I try to, I think the stories about the internet are most interesting when you're kind of looking at, um, looking at them in, in, in how the internet affects everyone or how it affects humans. Like I always describe it, anyone who's like listening to me talk about this will have heard this before, but I'll, I always describe it as rather than writing about what's on the phone, I like writing about the person who's holding the phone and like what it is they're going through or thinking about or how their experience is changing. Um, so that's a long-winded answer to say, I'm just a writer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because I think that that distinction you make is, is really palpable in the work. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's a, you write about culture slash internet culture in a way which doesn't hold it at arm's length. It's not very mm-hmm. took to Twitter. It's, it's very kind of <laughs> like... Uh, it, it feels like you're you're part of it and the whole group of people and the platforms that you write about are there and it's, I don't know, it's, it's just quite a different feel to the way even now, you know, however many years we are into like a mass kind of cultural internet, the, the way that you approach it is is different. Was that, when you when you came to set up Embedded, was that kind of part of the, the thinking to really kind of make that the vision? Yeah, I think there were a few things going into it because like Embedded started as sort of a more traditional website. It was kind of the editorial arm of a larger sort of tech company project. And um, we ended up, uh, I'm trying to find a diplomatic way for saying that they just laid us off. Um, But that's what happened, uh, that basically they lost a round of funding. And so um, sort of the the sort of website project that we had created um, was no more. But my editor and I, Nick Cattucci, were like, well, we, we feel like we were, had liked what we were starting. And it looked very different at the time. Um, but we were like, let's, if we could really just make this exactly what we wanted to be as a newsletter, like, what would, what would that be? And I know at the time, like, Embedded's tagline is still, like, what's good on the internet. And I don't, I never want that to mean, like, um, super positive, cheerful, like, uh, ignorant stuff. But I felt that a lot of writing, this was still early pandemic, and there was being, there was a lot more coverage of internet and creators, but a lot of it was pretty negative in the sense of just like, oh, look what they're doing now. Um, And so we wanted to kind of be in response to that. But I think the more human element kind of came, like, I just have um, all, like, I, it's funny because I don't even think this one specific friend knows that she's kind of the inspiration for this, but she's someone who like, whenever we would bring up what I was writing about, she would be like, um, you know, I have no idea who that person is or um, like what you're talking about right now. But like, she's like a teacher. She's not in this world, but I'm like, you're, she's on Instagram. Like we interact online. And so it's, it's like, okay, why this is someone who uses social media in a normal way. 
Um, but she has no idea what it is, what, like the, the sort of typical internet culture coverage is about. Um, like that, it feels really inaccessible to her. And I was like, that shouldn't be the case if she's on the internet, which just means like we're not, I don't think we're writing about, we're clearly writing about such a specific niche part of the internet um, that isn't actually representative of like a regular user's experience. And so that kind of was the thing. It's just like, who is, who are the people who like don't know? I mean, this is a dated example at this point, but like who, they don't know who Charlie D'Amelio is or they don't know who the latest like big TikTok person is. Um, but that doesn't mean they like live in a hole. I mean, they're still very online, but just not in that that specific way. And so um, that's kind of my thinking is like, well, what what is their internet experience like? And that, it often ends up being way more universal because it's something that people can relate to versus I think a lot of the early coverage was just like, look at what this influencer is doing. Aren't they bad and or crazy or, um, and, and all the comments would be like, how are people getting paid? Like it, it was just very different than, um, than what I always felt as someone who really grew up on the internet. It just didn't represent what the internet actually kind of can look and feel like and why it's important to people. Yeah, it, it feels like like with sort of pre-existing pop cultural forms, like pre-internet forms, whether it's you know pop music, film, TV, whatever, there was this sort of knowable canon to them, and and there were mm -hmm. issues with that, but it was like, and there was an a, an approach, and there were kind of a school of cultural criticism that approached it, and then the internet happened, and because it is just everything all at once it's 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 enormous and inherently unknowable it feels like the response of a lot of uh publications that would normally pass something like this was just to kind of you know like what you described just kind of fling up their hands in, in horror and rather than actually attempt to engage with it on its own own terms the way they were naturally doing um with these other forms and that's why it's kind of interesting to me that you know, like to to me, you're you know not to kind of blow smoke, but th this is like the best version of this writing that exists, and it's weird to me that there isn't like a that, you, that this is a Substack and not like a you know a gold plated New York Times kind of piece. Like, <laughs> what what I mean, and, and not that no, obviously that you know that's we're now touching on the creator economy and independence and all kinds of other stuff too, but. But you know why? Why do you think it was something you had to go out and make yourself, rather than mm -hmm. it's something that these publications, which generally pride themselves on being on top of things, why have they struggled to engage with it the way you are? Um, that's a that's very nice, and I'm just going to skate past the compliments. <laughs> and, uh, as, uh, what as writers do? do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of my one of the reasons why I like having embedded, even though I like freelance and write for other places, um, is that I found I can, I, you know, when people talk about how they miss what happened to blogs, um, it, it comes a little bit into that conversation where it's like, sometimes I've noticed something or want to write about something that doesn't have like a huge takeaway. It may not even be a trend. It may be like one thing I saw, or like there isn't something it doesn't actually say anything about like humanity or society. It's just like something I saw online. Um, and that's why embedded is good because that is kind of the only place for something like that, because a, a place that's more, you know, uh, established or that has, I guess has a bit more to lose by taking chances is my sort of answer to that question about why they're not doing it as much. Um, uh, I, I think they, they want to really make sure there's, 
meat behind something or they, you know, a lot of these places have very specific audiences um, who won't click on something. I think right, to, to distinctly sort of answer the question, I think the why embedded is good and why why it is like the place for this kind of stuff is um, newsletters in general are things that people have to, they've already opted into it. Um, and, and so it, it's rather than making content for a really broad audience and like hoping it, it lands each time I write something, it's like, I'm writing for people who over like two years now have kind of, um, already have already let me know that this is what they're interested in. Um, and so the biggest thing I have to come up against is, not getting their attention, but instead like, oh, I hope this doesn't disappoint them. Whereas it's a little bit of the opposite for, you know, a New York Times um, or the Atlantic or things like that, where that is going out to a really broad audience of people who haven't necessarily opted in um, and you're trying to convince them to come on board. And so I think it can be harder to just kind of, um, especially as a freelancer, at least convince anyone that like, that it's worth writing about like the last thing I wrote was like Gen Z seems to really like pickles that was the last thing I wrote <laughs> that's that a great pace <laughs> oh, thank you <laughs> and, but it's like that's one of those things where it's like okay I could try to get that out but I need to come with like a whole bunch of sources and people to interview and make it really like intense whereas like I don't actually have that much to say about it beyond what I wrote for embedded and so it's nice that um it's nice to have a space where it's like just informal, like as if you were, I mean, I'd like to think like as if you're talking, just like having a conversation with someone and they've noticed something. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's uh, interesting, right? Like the, then it touches on some of the conventions of journalism where you mm -hmm. sort of feel like you have to go and talk to some academic who really actually right? is super engaged with the thing, certainly not as much as you are. But, um, mm -hmm. but that's actually what I like about it. The fact that the audience has, has opted into mm -hmm. being really geeking, geeked out over the stuff as you are. I mean, but, you just mentioned TikTok, which and the rise of embedded has has kind of paralleled. It's mm -hmm. kind of taking over the kind of primary culture mechanism, but because it is just so vast and so kind of you know the genius of it is it, it no one no one else's TikTok is anything like any anyone else's. How does that kind of present challenges to someone who's trying to write about the medium mm -hmm. on an ongoing basis when it's inherently just this? giant unknowable you know mess of yeah. a thing i think tiktok is most useful because i also do try to i don't know less so now because like you know to, as tiktok's grown like it feels like every other platform has just kind of collapsed in on itself because i sometimes feel like oh, i don't want to keep i want the internet is more than tiktok and i want to write about more than tiktok but um what tiktok is good for from like an internet culture reporting standpoint is that um tiktok Talk will surface stories about things happening like anywhere um where like in terms of any platform i mean um like twitter drama a, a tick like will come to tiktok where someone will be like look what's happening on twitter or you know everyone's talking about this thing on instagram that'll be something that ends up on tiktok and so i think tiktok is good as a tool if you're not like always writing about something that's really TikTok specific, but rather using it to kind of notice other types of trends that surface. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> I wish I had a more academic thing than the pickle thing, but that's just <laughs> what I most recently wrote. So I keep thinking about it, but you know, just like following, it's like, okay, so this basically all started with just seeing this one sweatshirt that just keeps selling out that really is just a sweatshirt of pickle jars. And it was just like following that other places. Um, 
And, uh, and, and rather than being like, oh, this is a TikTok specific thing. It's like, oh, this seems to be like mimicking, um, you know, a, a larger kind of internet phenomenon. Um, and I think also I just have, so I'm, I was talking about this with someone where it's like, I wish I could use social media in a relaxing way, the way that without always having like one part of my brain turned on to be like, am I looking at something that maybe could be content? Because that also means my like algorithms are really messed up. Like I pickles again, but like I am getting, because I looked at this TikTok shop to write this pickle piece, I am getting every single sponsored post they've ever done in my algorithm now. And it's so frustrating or it means like anytime I go down a rabbit hole to write a piece, that's now part of my algorithm. Um, yeah, it's like you need a burner account and a, and a regular right. account to, to conduct your research because yeah. it is amazing how quickly it breaks as soon as you show right. a particular level oh, of yeah. interest. It's like that, the joke that people do about those like house renovation shows where, you know, a kid will be like, oh, I like horses. And so like the renovators will just make their room like an insane horse room. <laughs> it's like, that's why I feel my algorithm. My algorithm is like, you watched one pickle video. You, we're going to make all your, all your videos pickles. Um, but, um, but yeah. And so I am, I do try to be aware. And this is why what's difficult as a freelancer, whenever I'm out of ideas, it's because I have not like gone out into the real world to talk to people because like, as much as I can say like, oh, my TikTok feeds all over the place, I am getting like just a sliver of the content and, um, and, and it's not representative of what everyone is getting. Um, and so it's really helpful. Like I'm in a group chat of some other, uh, internet culture writers, but also just with my everyday friends. Um, it'll just, you'll just, it'll be nice to hear what other people are experiencing and then, and then go down go down that direction a bit um, because I think this happens on TikTok a lot where someone will think a trend that they're witnessing is like a huge trend, but then they'll click on like the sound that's associated with it and see it only has like maybe a thousand videos, which in TikTok numbers is not a lot at all. Um, and so it can really trick you into thinking that your experience is what everyone's experiencing. And so I would say the biggest um, hurdle or thing I need to remind myself of is that that is not true. And um which is why I think I get really excited when I stumble upon something like very specific or like a niche, not even a niche drama, but just like a niche community. Um, those are my favorite things to cover because I like when people are really like purely and authentically using the internet, not to get popular, but because it's bringing them enjoyment or it's connecting them with people that they wouldn't be connected with. Like, I think that's what made the internet so great in the first place. And it's still there. It just gets kind of, um, buried by uh whatever tiktok has turned social media into no it's i i totally see that and and that you know again like it does feel like there's been like this nostalgic yearning for glimpses of the kind of early internet sort of serendipity and mm -hmm. and optimism and you know substack had an element of that at the start as well i wonder if you'd like indulge me and in, because i you know like i say think you're <laughs> So great at this, like a little bit of a state of the social nation, because so much of your writing mm -hmm. is is about the platforms. Um, and also because TikTok uh, has had this crazy um, thing where it's just kind of, its power has been so great that its, it's gravity has mm -hmm. impacted all of them in quite a profound way. Um, and, and kind of seemingly broken some of them, but like... I will, yeah, let's start with Facebook, the kind of granddaddy of them all in, in some respects, and one which mm -hmm. has a particularly kind of 
moldy uh, sort of washed reputation. Do, do you, is, is that earned? Like what is the, what is going on with, with Big Blue right now? I don't see any reason why like what we're posting on Twitter or um, even TikTok like couldn't go on Facebook, but I think people are going to go to where other people are. Um, and that's in terms of their community for many people, that's not Facebook. Um, for, for many people that is um, TikTok, but like I wrote recently about how I, uh, this is not a community I'm a part of, but apparently LinkedIn is having like a bit of a resurgence because of sort of this Twitter exodus. And a lot of people who are big Twitter users are now moving over to LinkedIn. Um, and so, like I said, it, it, it's not that I think there's any one platform that's like doing something. I mean, TikTok is a kind of a whole separate beast because obviously it's success is its algorithm and the culture it's created. Um, but I think like like threads would be fine if the threads could replace Twitter if that's just where everyone decided we were going to go. Um, but there's not like a town hall we can all meet and decide in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's like a, like a plebiscite. Right, you know. right. And so you just have to kind of follow where the wind takes you. Um, and uh, and so you're kind of at the whim of something that <laughs> you can go back to Facebook. You'll just be probably pretty lonely. Um, and, and it's sad because what I kind of miss and what everyone says they miss about the internet is because that, that didn't used to be how we use the internet at all. In fact, like I would want to go places where like no one in my real life could find me. And I would just like want to go into forums and like talk about Harry Potter and things like that. Um, but then, but now um, I do think like as much as we say, we want to go back to these smaller websites and smaller communities that, that it, we, our brains have been so trained to chase sort of the social rewards of these much bigger platforms. And I do think we would find any platforms that don't have those things that are quieter, that have less people. Um, I think we would find them immediately less interesting um, than, than we think we would once we were actually back there. Cause it would, it wouldn't have any of that magic, like uh, addiction type stuff um, that is what we now need to be excited about social media. I'm trying to think of like, this isn't quite the same, the a right, a correct metaphor, but I remember like there was this, when I was, you know, growing up, there was this playground that I loved and I thought was this like mythical, magical, perfect playground. And then when I was uh, like a teenager adult, I I moved away and we went, we, I was like, oh, I really, when we came back to visit, I was like, I got to go see the playground. Like I missed the play and I should the playground. And, and so it's just a little bit like, once you're out of it and once you've grown up and moved on, when, when you go back to that thing that you're like, oh, I loved this, I'm going to love it again, um, you have, you can't ignore that you've grown up and moved on. And um, I do think if I were to like drop myself back into like a Harry Potter forum, one, there'd be a lot of other things to talk about in that <laughs> community. But, um, but I also think I'd be like, wait, this doesn't have like... Is it, does anyone see this? Do I get any validation from this? I, I, I just will not have any of the same stuff that um, now platforms like Instagram and TikTok have made kind of part and parcel for being on social media. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. In general, um, you know, speaking of Instagram, you know, how is that, that big Adam Mosseri project to sort of turn it into mm-hmm. TikTok going, do you think? I, so there was, and I wrote about this for the Atlantic last year. I feel like last, was this last year? Time is Yeah, it was last year when that was the big um, make Instagram, yeah, Instagram again everyone, kind of moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it kind of feels like it's just stagnant. Like I know they've introduced some stuff, like the weird kind of status update type thing that they've done. If you go to your messages folder, you can kind of like, basically post a a 2023 equivalent of a status update. I see some people using it, but it hasn't really done anything. Um, And I mean, Reels is still going strong, but I would say I haven't seen any like movement in it at all. I mean, I I still every 30 days have to hit snooze all suggested posts um, because I don't want it to be serving me random content, but it only lets you do that um, 30 days at a time. So I still do that. That's how I know a month has passed is I get that notification <laughs> again. Um, and, um, but also I, 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 a part of me is like cognizant that I'm probably because of things like that and others, I'm not a great reliable narrator on Instagram anymore because I found that it was one of the platforms that like caused the most, uh, that I had the unhealthiest relationship with specifically Instagram stories where I would have this compulsive like need to sort of document my day as a way of like asserting my existence, but also sort of um, feeling like nothing really like mattered unless anyone saw it. Um, and so, you know, I, I just, I, I, I didn't like the relationship that um, Instagram stories in particular, like made me had with my, have my own life, which was like one of like constantly needing to be packaged for public consumption. Um, and so it was also like I, a year ago decided like I'm not using Instagram stories anymore and I'll use it when I need to do like a call for quotes or like want to share something funny, but it's really few and far between. And so I, and I also was like, I'm also not going to post anything personal really um, other than like big life updates or career stuff on my like main feed, because similarly, I didn't like having the numeric value ascribed to just like my day-to-day activities. Um, so I also, I really step back and I use Instagram in a very specific way now, um, which means like, to me, I'm like, I, I'm basically, I'm like trying to caveat whatever my take on Instagram is as a kind of stagnant, boring place could very well be because of what I've turned it into, which is like a place that I've kept it at arm's length. But I mean, sort of anecdotally, I don't hear anyone being super excited about it. <laughs> It's interesting, right? That it kind of hints at the impossibility of being like a true social media journalist because you're trying to be normal somewhere while also. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I struggled with that a lot because, especially on both Twitter and Instagram, were my biggest issues. Like Twitter, especially during more deeper pandemic, I was just a constant onslaught of news and scary headlines. And then Instagram, I had this sort of weird performative relationship with that I felt was like, I really didn't like. Um, and I, for like about a, you know, I, I, I was dealing with that 
for a few years and really trying to weigh, like, am I going to dive bomb my career if I step back from these things? But then it's like, am I going to dive bomb my own brain if I keep staying on them? Um, and I was like, well, what if I just try stepping back and seeing like, and if suddenly like my ideas for embedded, like all vanish, then I'll know like, okay, that's not working. But I also do think that's why TikTok has been helpful because if something's happening on Instagram, that's like actually interesting. People are talking about it on TikTok, like kind of what I was saying earlier or, um, or same with Twitter. Like I wrote a piece this a while ago, um, about how like high school people, these accounts, these Instagram accounts were popping up, like dedicated to, it's such a high school thing. It would be like, an Instagram account for a specific high school dedicated to photos of people who have fallen asleep in class. And like people would submit, they would take the photo of a person asleep in class and submit it to this Instagram and the Instagram would post it. Um, and, and people would follow it. And so like very class, like, um, like I, my high school would have gone crazy for it. I actually looked it up and I found a version of this that my high school had done. So like, but I only found out because people were talking about it on TikTok because someone was like, Oh my gosh, like, if I had this when I was in high school, like I would be so panicked or that I was being watched all the time. But I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so that's an Instagram story. Um, but one that honestly, I wouldn't have come across on Instagram because I'm not in high school. And so it's like a platform like TikTok is good at surfacing that kind of stuff, um, even for other platforms. Yeah, that, that's 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 a kind of a crucial distinction. And on some level, that's why they're trying to turn it, you know, Facebook and, yeah. and Instagram into that. But there is sort of some fundamental nature to the compact people made when they walked in the door. You can't can't yeah. move it around too much, and that's obviously mm-hmm. what we're seeing with with Facebook and with with X uh, mm-hmm. in particular now. Um, the the two platforms that are quite sort of in contrast to that in a way, or seem to be. To me, I'm a person who, for the reasons that you described, basically mm-hmm. went cold turkey on all social media like 18 mm-hmm. months ago. And so in some way, Embedded is just the only way I feel connected to the culture <laughs> anymore. Um, so no pressure. But the uh, but but Reddit and YouTube still feel like, not entirely, but largely, like they, mm-hmm. they have kept the, the pact they made with their original user yeah. groups. And there's something kind of comforting about that. What is your sense of how those um, platforms are tracking? Yeah, I mean, so like with YouTube, I've mentioned this before because YouTube has made similar moves um, to mimic TikTok, but in a way that, like you said, doesn't go against the agreement people, like why people signed on in the first place. Like I think what YouTube does with shorts that is good that um, Instagram doesn't do with its reels is um, so when like a good thing with um basically i mean the bigger thing is that um youtube will not does not appear to punish its users algorithmically for not um engaging with whatever latest tools come out with the way that instagram does where like instagram wants to be used <laughs> yeah. reels so they're going to make it so reels are the only things that show up on anyone's feed um and it's like either you can keep doing your own content and suddenly find that you're not showing up anymore or you can like bow down and use reels whereas you, like youtube they didn't change anything. Like, I mean, I, I still consume YouTube in a very like a- analog way where I go to my subscribe, my subscription tab and I just see what the people I follow have posted in chronological order, which is like another thing that Instagram got rid of. Um, like a horizontal and, format videos. Yeah. Right, it's almost like right. an authoritarian versus a democratic government. I know, or I know, I know. And it's like, and when I click on that, I can see shorts that, um, like they, the shorts that any of the people I follow have made show up among the other videos they've made. Um, I personally don't click on it because I use, I think this also comes down to like how you, 
what screen you're watching this stuff on. I'm very much a laptop screen person for like most things, um, which I don't think is the majority. It's very atypical. Yeah, I found out recently that I was like in the minority on that. Everyone's on phones, but I think I just like, this makes me feel like, a boomer i'm like well, this is what i was i was raised on a laptop screen and so like that's <laughs> but it's also I, it's work right 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 and so i think it's just like it also helps there be a different like i can shut a laptop and move on my day and it like there's a sense of like boundaries a little bit which is good um but that does mean that like things like shorts it's like I can watch it on my laptop screen, but like, I know that's bizarre. And <laughs> so I like, don't, I don't do that. Um, so, but, but what's good is that like, I'm not going to try and watch a YouTube video and getting bombarded with shorts instead, which is, you know, and, and so I just think it's, and also YouTube is really good at um, motivating people with money in a way that Instagram does not do. So like YouTube has you know, they're one of the, I think one of the first platforms to really compensate um, its creators, like with the they like partner program and then AdSense and things like that. Um, and then with shorts, like um, Snapchat did this a little bit too, although I think they like went really big and then had to pull back a little bit. But just in terms of like motivating people by paying them for trying the new product rather than punishing them for not trying the new product, which is what Instagram does. Um, and so YouTube is also, I found weirdly, even though they've done these moves to mimic TikTok, I've TikTok, I found kind of um, just talking to creators and people who consume that weirdly what has YouTube has had somewhat of a resurgence because it's kind of like a, because it's long form content. And there is like, I think a limit to like how, how short someone, how much short firm content someone can consume before like feeling nuts. Um, and, and I think for creators specifically, they've mentioned YouTube as being this place where they can move a little slower, put a little bit more thought into things, and the two kind of complement each other in a nice way. Um, and things like video essays that are like 90 minutes long, um, those are those get millions of views on YouTube, which like you wouldn't think with how everyone talks about short form video and, and TikTok. Um, and so YouTube, I think, succeeded because it stuck to sort of exactly what it said it was going to do from the beginning and just kind of held its ground a little bit and introduced new features, but still kept like, like, cause I, I think what makes, you know, what made Instagram great was it was the only platform for staying in touch with friends through photos. And then rather than holding firm to the staying in touch with friends through photos part, it, you know, tried to be TikTok and that's left people sort of frustrated. Um, and so YouTube I think has done really well. And I think that's why, um, Reddit is one. I'm a big lurker on Reddit. I'm not a, I have yet to have the courage and I don't know why it's so scary to me to like post anything. Um, why is that? That's, that's such a weird. <laughs> because it's theoretically like way lower stakes. Like it's anonymous if I want yeah. it to be like it, it but I think. Um, but the, the culture that when in every sub, the culture feels so intense that just to kind yes. of dip your toe in is very intense. Right. You know, you're such a new I'm fish. Scared. I will say something wrong, right? Or yeah, and that like people will dunk on or that I'll just like not have gotten the tone of the thing, right? Because I'm in um the big one that I'm, I check religiously is the Love Island UK subreddit. And I've like interviewed the moderators and I am always there and everyone is so funny. And I, I'm so, they're so funny and cool to me. And I am way too intimidated to ever contribute anything because things also get very heated. Um, but I mean, something that was happening recently, that was interesting obviously with reddit where sort of the um 
protest blackouts that were happening in response to sort of the introduction of these tools that kind of um, like especially specifically ones with like moderation. Um, like Reddit is so interesting because people completely unpaid dedicate their time to like maintaining and um, curating and just running these communities. Um, and it is when we talk about like what's pure and original about the internet, like it's really that. Um, and Reddit has sort of introduced some, or they they hiked up fees for programs that were really integral to keeping those communities running and, and tools that moderators were using to kind of rely on like filtering out comments that were harmful. And, and you know, this all, all the sort of general maintenance that they had to do were made easier through these tools that they were now like making exorbitantly expensive to use. Um, and so Reddit, and I think Reddit will still, like, you know, Reddit's certainly not going to like fall apart because of that. Um, it is not, so far, no huge meaningful change in terms of like, acquiescing to moderators' demands, if I remember correctly, has really happened. It's just, you're just going to notice, I think, there is some, like an exodus of some moderators. Um, and I think the, the thing that people will notice on a day-to-day level is maybe just the gradual decrease in like quality of some of the communities they're in. Um, but, um, but I think Reddit has similarly remained because it, it is stuck true to what it is and it's just a place people want to go to talk about either very broad or like very niche things and just like talk, talking to each other online is like how this all started um <laughs> and and that you know that and that that's honestly when I was like okay I don't really want to scroll Twitter anymore because I don't like what it's becoming Reddit is where I went to um and and, and you know it, it does have a lot of the sort of same um content as Twitter but just uh, I would I say sometimes a bit more thoughtful, sometimes a bit more angry, sometimes a bit crazy. But um, but I do find it's a good place if you want to, especially from like a writing standpoint, just like understand a community. It's so easy to go to Reddit. Plus, I can't believe it took me this long to get to how like it is the best for searching for like a problem. Like so, like I was trying to explain this to my parents because they didn't understand why. Um, you know, when it came to like we were talking about sort of pets and vet stuff. They, they didn't understand why people would trust like a person on YouTube or whatever over just like calling a vet um, or like a doctor. And, and it's like, well, one, that costs money. <laughs> but two, um, like I, when I when my cat's having an issue, I can Google the symptoms and get like a website with like all these things it could be, but that like, I don't, I don't know if, and, and they're, they're, they don't know who I am and I don't know who they are. And so they're like, it's very vague advice. Whereas if I Google the same exact thing that I'm dealing with with my cat and then Reddit, there's, oh, there's threads and threads of people with the same problem talking like way more, like, you know, I can, I can trust it. Cause I can see like their like human experiences with it, which are much more accessible to me. I can see pictures. I can see what it looks like. Um, and, and people, uh, throwing in a lot of advice and it, it's, it, it's much, it's a really great tool for if you're dealing with something, finding, um, other people who have been through that exact situation and, and, and seeing the discussion about it, it's so helpful. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it, and it, it, it archives properly in a way that other sort yes. of social platforms just, just kind of let it vanish. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking a lot about at the, at the sort of macro level, how, how they're tracking. And I'd like to just kind of zoom right the hell into a, like a singular experience, which is where you kind of very 
briefly and seemingly traumatically became the kind of main character for a minute with the uh, <laughs> with the millennial pause, yeah. which I'm sure you never tire of talking about. But can you just <laughs> describe what happened and how it felt? Because it seemed completely insane yes. as I read it. Yeah, so the millennial pause was... It's so, so I, it's something that I didn't coin it. A creator named Nisa, who's really great on TikTok, made a video in um, like two years ago, um, maybe, uh, that kind of commenting on, because Taylor Swift had just joined TikTok and Taylor Swift made a video and there was a little pause before she spoke and um, Nisa stitched it and was like, it's so funny to me that even... Taylor Swift is not immune to the millennial pause before you start speaking type thing. And I thought that was so interesting. And I just kind of like wrote it down and nothing really happened with it for a while. And then I first wrote about it a few months later, just for embedded. I was like, it was one of those days where I have like such a notes app of things that I could write about. And there was just, I was looking through and I was like, oh, I'll write about this millennial pause thing. And that's not the thing that went viral. I wrote about it and then I was also working at the Atlantic at the time and an editor saw it and was like would you want to turn that into kind of a larger piece about millennials on the internet but you know the hook was the millennial pause and I had no to this day I cannot tell you why it what happened because I (laughs) was like I I was like oh I like I don't I just was like oh I I remember thinking like oh I hope my first story does well and I was like was like I don't know if it will and it came out and I don't even think I noticed necessarily the first thing that was happening, but I made a TikTok just kind of running through the points of it, um, posted it and I made TikToks before and they did like fine. But I remember like after like 10 minutes or so, I checked, I was like, oh, I wonder how it's doing. And it was at like 10,000 views already. And like really, and I was like, oh, something different is happening. Like you get t- it's so, the algorithm really does like you, I could tell it got it had gotten punted onto some trajectory that I'd never experienced before, and I was seeing all the comments come. In. It was so well, but honestly, I was like, okay, this is overwhelming. Um, I'm glad it's resonating. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, step back. And I really didn't look at my notifications for a while, and then I got like the worst DM you can ever receive from someone, which is, "Hey, I hope you're hanging in there. I'm sorry, everyone's oh, crazy." No. And I was like, what? And opened up TikTok again. And um, like I used TikTok, but I just, you know, my notifications were like a constant, like 99 plus, like, and so I would just click. So the thing went away and then go out. I was like, I'm not looking at it anymore. It's not productive. And then I was like, oh, I should look closer (laughs) at what's happening. And um, I mean, at that point, I mean, the discourse in the comments was wild. I had so, so many people like stitching the video. I couldn't. I did not watch really any of the stitches because I don't know why that hearing, I can deal with a mean comment, but seeing a face be mean about me, I was like, I can't handle this. This is is my own millennialness. I was like, I can't do it. um, But I did see some, and like a big one was um, a TikTok creator named Rod, whose whole thing is like millennial stuff. His video was fine, but it, it was a normal reaction, but he leaned a little bit, Basically, millennials took this very personally, and I'm a millennial, and in a way that I did not anticipate, because it literally doesn't matter, Um, and uh, like I thought it was just like a funny thing, and I was genuinely shocked by how many millennials felt like that were accusing me of hurting their feelings, (laughs) in a way, like genuinely were like, 
upset and and like I was accused of bullying and ageism, which is also like this is a whole other thing. It's like I didn't say any of this to you. I reported that other people are saying this, but TikTok has a real way of like collapsing all that and they just see a face a person saying something and they're like you did this because that's the biggest thing that'll happen anytime I post anything I'll be like I I do trend reporting and then the comments are like well why are you doing this and it's like I'm not doing anything um I'm I'm telling you other people are doing it and that really was this case like I I did not coin it I was like oh here's people are saying about millennials haha and then it kind of went nuts and there were some really great discussions about um about millennialisms in general and where they came from and how race played a role in it. Like, isn't it to say everyone who didn't think I was amazing was stupid? Like, that's not true at all. But um, <laughs> but the, 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 the stuff that I will confidently say was stupid was anyone deciding to, like, take it personally and, and, uh, and I don't know, act like, you know, it, it just, I, I think it's like, I don't think it's an in, the millennial pause is an insult. I edit mine out because I'm now so aware of them. But um, I I kind of just found it fascinating as like a anthropological marker of internet use. It was like yeah, like that's what we were like the same way I have to use a laptop to watch the things, even though that's not what anyone else is doing. That is like a marker of like how I was raised on the internet. And like some people were pointing out, they think the pause came from using Snapchat because Snapchat would le- do like a second delay before it would start recording. Um, so that might be it. But I thought that was so, in- I just think it's interesting. I don't think it means someone's like, should just get in a coffin. I just think it means that like, oh, you were raised on a version of the internet that is different than how people are being raised on now. And this is the most heated I've ever gotten in response to millennial pause sort of more publicly. So that's because I try to be very like measured, but it's been like a year now and I'll still get comments that are like so rude. And it's just like, I'm going to, I moved on from this like I, I, like it, it's so it's so wild to me. Oh, unfortunately, it's going to be like a par in your obit. Like this is definitely. Oh no, they, it has a. I mean, I am like you know as much as I endured like some really wild reactions that I don't understand. Like it's so crazy the reach that it's gotten. Like it has a Wikipedia page, which is wild. Um, Ryan Reynolds said it in a Super Bowl commercial. It was not on like screen, but the whole, like on like an Instagram, I don't know what it even means, but an Instagram Super Bowl commercial type of thing. Um, so that, that's like, I'll just see, I know. And I'll see like, you know, a video that someone posts and someone will call, I'll look at the comments, not even looking for it. And someone will be like, oh, you did a millennial pause. And then the person will be like, ah, and it's like, <laughs> it is like it overall, it is very cool to have been part of an internet moment, like a proper one. Yeah, like, and to be like, oh my God, like, this is like something people know and like they know it, not even, they wouldn't even know like that I did it, it because it's become so embedded. Like, that's very cool. But um, it did make using TikTok and Instagram, it, it poured over onto Instagram. Um, uh, and I have left all the rude comments up because I want people to have to like, live with them. <laughs> live with what they did of like you got mad about this <laughs> and yeah. I left them up yeah. for that reason um but you know no, overall it's been great but it was wild because I think I just hadn't it was truly just something that I never anticipated would even get traction let alone make people upset but I also think I have a skewed interpretation of I will remember the millennial pause as like a backlash moment and then when I 
say it to other people, they're like, what are you talking about? Like it's because I'm on the receiving end and you remember negative comments way more than positive ones. I'm like, oh yeah, people got so mad at me. But actually, if you do click on the video, the offending TikTok, it does take a little bit of scrolling before you actually get to anyone being upset. (laughs) So the the millennial pause and the kind of scale of the response kind of nicely Mm -hmm. segues into this idea that you write about of of opinion fatigue. Mm -hmm. And... And you've also kind of assessed and interviewed people who've talked about the way that that sort of intensely antagonistic style of Twitter discourse kind of has just, well, has kind of radiated out and and, and feels quite present on, on all platforms. Do you, do you mm-hmm. feel like there is a kind of, that the opinion fatigue thing is real or that we are moving through and past that period of just like just constant supervision and and critique almost as like a sport Mm -hmm. or are we still sort of there culturally? I mean, I, I still, I, and I, I, I think, you know, I still am very careful about what I post on TikTok because of the millennial pause experience, because I'm just like weighing how much do I want to repeat that again? Because it's not fun. Um, other people have not had the same type of, um, you know, the same experience, but, um, so in ter- you know, I think there are people, it really depends on the individual person. Cause I think there are people like I was cognizant when millennial pause was happening, that if I wanted to, I could really harness that moment and take it somewhere. I could have made another video and I could, I could have built off it in a way that I was not comfortable doing because I didn't like how the attention was making me feel, but there are people who do like how it makes them feel and are able to sort of take that moment and, take the backlash and they, they are inspired to do some, do more with it. Um, and so, and that will, you know, that's not going to go away. Like everyone is not just going to wholesale stop talking just because some people, you know, it's one of those things where it's just, I think there are people who have reached their limit and that's interesting, but I don't think that means everyone's going to stop sharing. What I do think is actually changing is people's general exhaustion with I I found that recent sort of, I wish there was a better word than cancellations, but recent discourses, dust-ups, anything like that, have had less staying power. Um, I think because there is an exhaustion of like, we can't just keep doing this over and over again. Um, Or, um, you know, there's just too much out there. Uh, And... um, the standard is too kind of high or something. there's something right. you, you interviewed a creator like earlier this year, I think, who she was like mm-hmm. just a kid from Canada or something who spoke really kind of mm-hmm. in, interest, like had just a, like a great kind of perspective on it that I thought really kind of it, it just it felt like she was articulating something that I'd been sort of feeling for a long time. Yeah, I think you're talking about Michelle, who because she had made a video um that kind of inspired what were like the beginnings of this opinion fatigue piece where she was talking about the specific um, tendency on TikTok that, that she called whataboutism, which is like you post, you know, something, the example I use in the opinion fatigue piece is like if they're posting a recipe and it has cheese in it and someone comments, well, what about vegans? And it's like, well, the answer about that is, is then this is not a recipe for vegans, but there's like <laughs> this um, expectation, I think because we are, uh, in such a like, algorithmic, uh, we're, we're so accustomed to content being served to us when it's like not for us, we get like mad 
And instead of getting mad at the algorithm, we get mad at the creator who actually had no part in putting it on our feed. Um, and so there's, she, so she was kind of talking about that. And I do think it um, resonated with a lot of people who have similarly run into attempting to say or speak about something that is only applicable to certain people and the response of people it is not applicable to rather than just scrolling past it, they kind of feel the need to be like, well, this isn't true for me. And it's just like a lot of things aren't true for everyone. And I think it's less a symptom of people being like more annoying than they used to be or more sensitive. But I think it's just more, um, there's so many of us in the same place. And so we've never really had all these different experiences kind of clashing together before. Um, and the, the larger audience you have, the more you're going to say something that certain people are not going to resonate with or agree with or identify with. Um, cause it's, it's going to be, it's impossible to create universally for an audience of everyone, which is kind of what TikTok is. Um, and so it's less of, I think anyone has changed, but more we're facing, we're feeling the consequences of just putting everyone in a room and then trying to like create some kind of order and it's just it, we're never all going to agree on one thing that's like kind of the point of society <laughs> um hey that's that that's a super great place to end it and um i've enjoyed this <laughs> so much i'm just so obsessed with the newsletter i think it's like the best oh thank you the best thing on the internet and um yeah just just really appreciate you making the time no thank you so much for having me That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e te iwi, Tiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.